Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Mohab Skit. You guys are an odd bunch. (laughs) That and more. But before that, I just want to say, hey, there is a big, big song. A brand new, (laughs) a brand new original, I guess you could say, song uh, that I created for everyone who participated in the Listen to Risk, hashtag Listen to Risk campaign that we had leading up to our 10th anniversary we promised everyone who who you know posted something on twitter or facebook or uh instagram with the hashtag listen to risk that we would add their names into an epic song that is at the very very end of this episode where we usually have our easter eggs uh so don't miss that but don't stop doing the hashtag listen to risk stuff because you know we got to keep getting that word out no matter what Another thing we want to get the word out about is our online interactive courses that we're starting to teach through our school at thestorystudio.org. These are live online group storytelling classes. They're conducted via video conference. So you can take a class with other students right there online, hear their stories, react to them, tell your stories, react you know, get reactions from others. We just had our first two-day one that was mostly scheduled to fit with folks who live in East Asia, but we'll be doing a lot more. So reach out to us if you're interested at admin at thestorystudio.org and let us know if you want to be in the loop for the next one of these that comes around. Also, there's all sorts of other education available via thestorystudio.org. There's just regular video classes that you can take on your own in your own time, as well as groups that you can meet in New York or Los Angeles or Minneapolis. And there are, of course, our corporate workshops that we teach. We have taught such amazingly dynamic and fun and inspiring workshops at places like American Express and Pfizer and Citibank and Google. So check it out. Visit us at thestorystudio.org for lots more information on 
communicating in a more compelling and emotional and human way with storytelling skills. And anything else you want to know about risk can be found at risk-show.com. Now here's the show. kids this is risk the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share i'm kevin allison this is the go team behind me now and we're calling this week's episode stronger these are all these are these are some pretty rough circumstances that our three storytellers this week made it through and are in beautiful condition today despite it all now, I just wrapped up a super fun conversation with John LaSala, one of our audio editors of the show that we're going to put on Patreon. If you don't know, we have a lot of bonus content for anyone who becomes a member over at patreon.com slash risk. And there's lots of conversations with members of the team. There's lots of bonus stories that you haven't heard on the free podcast. There's check-ins from me where I just kind of journal for 40 minutes or so. There's ad-free versions of the episodes. There's, oh my gosh, there's so much to be found at patreon.com slash risk. And if you become a member for anything from $1 a month to whatever dollars a month, it really, really helps us keep this running. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from the fabulous Michael C. Bryan. He shared a story recently at our show in New York City that we do at Caveat once a month. The next Caveat show is November 21st. You can find Michael C. Bryan at michaelcbryan.com. That's B-R-Y-A-N. But before that, we're going to hear a story that was shared the last time that Risk went to Detroit. Oh my gosh, we have had so many just unforgettable nights. Just stories for the ages have been recorded. We, we always go to the Magic Bag there in Detroit, and we love it there. Now, this story is really special. This was shared by Mohab Skit. I think this is maybe the fifth time we've had someone who is blind share a story on the show. And Mohab, as you will hear, is a remarkable person, just lovely to work with. Here he is now with a story we call Desperate Remedies. A few years ago, one evening, a middle-aged young man, no, yeah, middle-aged young man, sitting in the living room, recently divorced, 
blind, as you can see. A father of two boys who live with the ex-wife three and a half miles away. That is me. And I was contemplating the most immediate problem that I had at the time. A week from that evening, a summer vacation will be over and the full semester will start. I have to start going back to the university at least twice a week. And I have no way of going there and coming back. At the time, I lived in Rochester Hills, around 30 miles to the north of Detroit. In the summer, I tried everything to find transportation. Tried ride-sharing services, carpooling, asked colleagues, begged friends, you name it. One side effect of the divorce was that my credit score took a big hit and I did not have a credit card. I literally that evening did not have a single dollar to my name. The idea of an Uber was impossible. So it was a real problem. This could not have come at worst time because this was the year when I had to apply for promotion and tenure. Promotion and tenure depended heavily on a good publication record, which was fine for me, and an equally good teaching record. So I could not afford to miss classes. I could not afford to go to classes unprepared. One more thing was at stake. I learned that summer that my ex-wife kept telling the children that I will be back. I cannot afford not to be back with her because nobody will drive me to the university. I will not be able to go. I will not be able to cash a salary so I will not be able to provide for them. I needed to reassure my children, to make it known to them that the salary will be kicking in in the fall, that there will be money to provide for them and to keep their lifestyle, if not better, at least as it was. While all these ideas were running in my head, like frightened mice in a trap, I got this phone call from Dana. Dana was a friend that I was recently introduced to. She's a former teacher who quit teaching because she had back problems. And she's uh, writing grants for others and she's doing all these kinds of interesting stuff. And she was a very interesting woman. She... um, had a fascination for classical music and she loved jazz and at the same time she could recite to you the names of hard rock bands in America in the last 40 years. She was full of contradiction. She was a very loud spoken woman. She is very independent and she has soft spots for roses and she was a walking bundle of contradictions. Just so interesting. So we talked and talked, and then she sensed 
my frustration. And she asked me. I told her what the problem was. Then we had, of course, to go through the list of, did you try this? Did you try that? Did you try those? Then at the end of that long, boring list, she asks me, did you try asking me to help you? You know, questions do not cost money, right? And then I thought, yeah, they don't. And I did not try. So I asked her, Dana, would you be able to help me? And she said, yes. How would you be able to help me, I asked. She said, I can drive you to the university and drive you back. And I said, twice a week? Yes. And to the end of the semester. I'm not working, silly. Remember? Yeah. I do. Suddenly, problem was solved. She had one condition, though. And the condition is this. Because she lives 20 miles away, and I need to be at school very early in the morning, she will need to sleep in my apartment the night before. So Monday evening, she would come to my apartment. Tuesday morning, we would go. Ah, that's a good idea, I said. (laughs) We'll do that. Well, Dana and I are friends. She knows everything about me, about my divorce, my rocky, pumpy relationship with the children, and about the relationship that I'm starting now with with this woman who was at the time overseas. And I know everything about her relationships too. So that was just a friendly gesture. Monday evening, first day of school, she comes to my apartment. I sleep on the floor in the living room, and she takes my bedroom. A small sacrifice. Very good. Tuesday morning, we wake up very early. We have coffee, we hit the road, and we arrive downtown on campus, quarter to eight. My first class starts at 10. Amazing. First teaching day, she's waiting at the end of the day. She picks me up, she drops me at home, and she goes her merry way. That was the first week. Perfect plan. Second week comes. Monday evening, Dana comes. She was agitated, nervous, and silent. And she is not the silent type. I start to sense something. So I uh, approach the topic. I ask questions. And then she answers abruptly which is not how she usually answers questions. She would give you book-length answers. But she didn't. She answered abruptly. She was playing nervously with the keychain. Then I asked her, Dana, are you reconsidering our agreement? And that jiggling of the keychain stopped. And she said, "That, that depends on you. Well, I would do everything in my power to keep this agreement going. I need that semester 
to work. Well, she said, okay, you know, I am doing you a favor. And that's a huge favor. I nod. And friends help each other. I also nod. And then she says, and then you would have to help me. And I would be happy to help, I said, if I can. She said, yeah, you can, all right. So how can I help, I ask. And here she says, I asked my boyfriend, and he turned me down. I asked my roommate, and she turned me down. And I'm asking you, and I don't think you can turn me down. I told her, I do not know what that is, but it sure sounds like blackmail. (laughs) And now that was her turn to nod. And I said, what if I say no? What if I can't? Then she said, tomorrow will be the last day I drive you to the university. And then I said, okay, so what was it? Out with it. She said, okay, you know, I crave urine and I want to drink it and I want to drink yours (laughs) you guys are an odd bunch You are. Okay. I do not know how, how long I was silent because all I was thinking at the time was the pictures of my children. <laughs> were really floating in my head and, and the voice of my girlfriend was... Crying was ringing in my ears. (laughs) But at the same time, this is the tenure and promotion semester. (laughs) This is, no, this is the paycheck semester that will show my children that I still can provide. Why are you laughing? Okay. So I agreed. But I... I, uh, Yeah, I agreed. First I said... First I said, you know, I am divorced recently. And my relationship to my children is in a difficult stage. And there is a girlfriend, and you know her. She said, yeah, it is a transaction. It's not like we're having sex. We're not having sex. I want something, you'll give it to me, and you want a ride, and I'll give it to you. Okay. And, and the difficulty and the stress of this thing was easier and easier 
as the time went because it was not a regular thing. So life went perfect September, October, and November up until the week of the Thanksgiving break. I was even able to ask her to leave me in the university for an extra two hours where I can sit in my office, enjoy the huge screen, and write down the final edits of my book. So it was working fine. That Monday, before the Thanksgiving Thursday, something happened. I'm used to tell my children a bedtime story every night. When I was living with them, I told them the story in person. After the divorce, doesn't matter where I was in the world. Every evening, 8.30 or 9, I would call them up on the phone, tell them a bedtime story. That Monday, for an evil reason, I forgot to. I did not tell the bedtime story. So, late in the evening, the buzzer of my apartment rings. And I go and I press the button, and that's what I hear. Dad, are you okay? Oh, uh, honey, yes I am. I am really sorry I forgot about the bedtime story. Okay, Dad, open up. No. (laughs) Dad, let's come upstairs, hear the story, and then go home to bed. He said, no, you are not. In the background, I could hear my ex-wife saying, there's probably a woman with him upstairs. Let's go. Instead of listening to her, they insisted even more. And I gave in. I opened the door, and the three of them stormed the apartment like a trained SWAT team. (laughs) And of course, they found my friend in the apartment. And then my son looks at me and says, Yeah. There is a woman in the apartment, Dad. So mom was right all along. Mom said you divorced because you wanted to go chase women. I did not know what to say. But I did not want to say I was sorry. Because what they were saying was not what was going on, and I will not be able to tell them what was going on. (laughs) As fast as they came into the apartment, they left the apartment. At that moment, the two of my children stopped talking to me. They do not talk to me unless they really have to. I do not know what happened that evening afterwards. All I remember was that in the morning, I picked up the phone and I called my girlfriend and I told her everything that happened. I told her about the agreement 
about the children. And I asked her what I can do. And she said, yeah, thank you for being honest, but you are also very selfish. You dumped this on me so I can tell you what to do. Well, it took us time, of course, for her to forgive, but she never forgets it. Every time I go out, or every time she's traveling, she remembers it. A word or two escape her mouth about them. But she was at least able to forgive me. And I hope my children will forgive me one day, like she did. Thank you. Hey there, I got a favor I need to ask. I got no way to get to school. No problem, that's not out of my way. But still, I'd like a favor back from you. You name it, what do you need? I appreciate that you're helping me. Now don't laugh, consider this carefully. Could I get a bottle of your pee? No, wait, you want my pee? Not a lot. Just a mug or three. Okay, and you'll give me a ride? Hmm, so long as you keep me well supplied. My pee? Yes. Why? Thirsty. Oh, wouldn't you rather have something else to drink? Mm -mm. Gatorade? No. Minute Maid? Nah. Coca-Cola, coffee, milk, or tea? No, just your pee. Now, I know you're a good friend to me. That's right. I'm flattered, or at least I think I ought to be. Sure. And my other options are looking pretty bleak. So, do we have a deal? I need a drink. No asparagus, please. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. All right, buckle up, motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, God. Really? You're gay? Oh, God, Michael, are you gay? You can't be gay. Oh, my God, Lydia's gay. Lydia, you... You lump on a log, say something! Are you gay? Oh my god, you're really gay! 1980. I'm 15 years old. Mount Lake Terrace, Washington, a small little white trash suburb outside of Seattle. My father, his name was Lynn, stood there and said, You're gay? I said, No, I'm not gay. I, I, I like girls. I swear I like girls. And he's like, He turned around, he walked out of the room. She stood there and she stared at me. I stared at her. He came back and he had in his hand this huge bag. And I had seen this bag before when I was a kid. On the outside of it, it said Lynn Gordon Bryan. He handed it to me. He said, take this. I said, why, why are you handing this to me? What is this? He's like, if you're a homosexual, Mike, you can't live in this house. I'm 15. I have nowhere to go. You're gay! Oh my God, you're gay! I'm sorry, Mike, but you, you can't live in this house if you're gay. You have to leave. 
I remember holding the bag in my hand, walking down the hallway. I remember I couldn't feel my feet on the ground. I remember passing the photos of our entire family. I remember looking at our whole family as I was passing. I remember walking into the bedroom. I remember looking at Olivia Newton-John saying, how could you possibly do this to me? I remember going over to the cabinet. I pulled clothes out. I shoved them in. I looked at Fleetwood Mac, the one song I used to listen to, Don't Stop, that got me through high school, that got me through getting beaten up, that got me through what I went through, that got me through being abused by that mentally ill mother, and I thought, you lied to me. It doesn't get better. So I shoved the clothes in the bag, and I walked into the living room, and my mother now, she was like a fish on a fishing boat. She was just flopping back and forth on the floor. And my father, like he always did, my father, a psychotherapist who watched her do what she did to me, Oh, it's okay, Joyce. It's okay. It's okay. And I looked at him, and I said, are you really kicking me out? And he said, if you're a homosexual, you can't live in this house. I took the bag. I walked out. I went to the bus stop, a bus stop that I had been to many, many times because I had a secret life as a kid that I didn't tell anybody about. I sat on that bus, and as the bus went to downtown Seattle, I saw downtown Seattle looming ahead of me, and I thought to myself, I'm not doing the same thing I've been doing. Ever since the age of 11, I had been sneaking into porno theaters with a fake ID I got. I was Edward Rodriguez. (laughs) They believed me. And I sat on that bus, and there were serrations in the highway, and as the bus went over the serrations, I felt this, and I thought, this is really happening. I'm homeless. What am I going to do? I thought, this can't be happening. I looked at the driver. The driver looked at me. I'm sitting here inside this bus with this duffel bag, and I'm wondering, what is this guy thinking of me? So the bus pulls into downtown Seattle, and it's raining outside. It's always raining in Seattle. It's raining. They say in Seattle all the time that you don't, you don't tan, you rust in Seattle, which is very true. <laughs> so we pull up to downtown Seattle. And as we pull up to downtown Seattle, I look to my right. Now I look to my right. I see all these rows of movie theaters, and I know these movie theaters. I've been in these movie theaters. And the bus stops. And I step out, and I stand there with a double bag in my hand. I'm homeless. I'm 15. I got kicked out for being gay. And the one person I knew who I would see I saw, from down the road, he comes towards me. He had a pink wig, fishnet stockings, Daisy Dukes, his dick's almost hanging out on the side, full beard, and cowboy boots. He walks up to me, and he's like, I'd like to say that this is a surprise. But it's not, Mary. He had been watching me for years go in and out of the porno theater. So when he saw me, he said to me, he's like, let me guess. You got kicked out, right? I said, "Uh uh-huh. He's like, let me guess. You're gay, right? I said, "Uh uh-huh. He's like... And you don't have any money and no place to live, right? And I looked at him, and the look in his eyes was resignation, sweetness, and then he waited a beat because he knew what I was going to say next. And I said, yes, but I I can't do what you do. And he said, girl, I've been watching you for four years going in and out of those movie theaters since you were just this high, and you're going to tell me that what I do offends you? You know what you were doing in those movie theaters, and he was right. Ever since 11, old men have been sucking me off, playing with my dick, fucking me in theaters, and that's how I made my money. I didn't find out till later 
that my mother was molested, my grandmother was molested, and the chain sort of made sense when I got older, but back then it was just like, day in the park. So he says to me, he's like, so you got nowhere to live, you got no money, you know what you got to do, right? I said, I have an idea, but I don't know how to do this. And he said, follow me. And I remember watching him walk down Pike Street and go down farther and farther, and it's getting darker and darker and darker, and we're going to a part of the city that I'd never been in before. And it goes down farther and farther, and then he stops. He turns, and he looks over his shoulder, and he says to me, Bitch, welcome to Come Alley. And we turn the corner, and this long, dark street that I'd never seen before. Even the street lamps, I'll never forget this, the street lamps were so faded and yellow, even they were ashamed to look at what was going to go on on the street below. At that point, I looked at him, sitting there with his wig kind of slightly askewed, pulling out a cigarette, one ball hanging out between his leg, the torn thing, the stocking, it was torn, and his cowboy boots, and it occurred to me what was about to happen, and the totality of it, I couldn't feel it. I thought I should feel something. All I'm feeling is numb. I can't feel my feet. I can't feel my hands. And I flash back to this moment. My mother, who I would learn later, had borderline personality disorder. She used to sit there at the dining room table, and she used to put her hand on the dining room table, and she'd go, whose hand is this? Do you know Creepy Kid? Oh, it's mine. And I thought, oh, fuck, I'm becoming my mother. So I walked forward, and he says to me, you can't wear that. You've got to have something else to be able to do this, you know. And if you need to make money and you can stay at this place that I stay, this, this house up on Capitol Hill, you got to make some money. So he took me to a store, and in the store, he took me to the very back, and there was all these old vintage clothes, and he says to me, try those pants off. No, 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 girl, girl, take off the underwear. they got to see what they're buying. Gave me some cowboy boots like his. I could feel the hole in the bottom right hand. I could feel that it was falling apart. Then it gave me this strange giant sweater that kind of opened up like my cleavage was coming out for the world to see. He's like, there, now you'll make some money. He took me out on the street, we stood there and he said, so this is how it works, girl. When someone comes up to you and they ask for a date, you get in the car, you stick your tongue right down their throat. If they're a cop, they're gonna freak the fuck out. If they're a John, they're gonna moan. So that's what I did. Got in the car, stuck my tongue down his throat, moaned away. Trick after trick after trick. Take the bus up, go to high school, no one knew. Steal money when my parents weren't there, food, go back down to Seattle. Trick after trick, I got fucked in the back of pickup trucks, I had hay in my fucking ass, I got fucked in aqueducts, I got fucked in the Hilton, I got fucked in the Sheraton, I got fucked everywhere. I did it for about, it was about 16 months. And then one day I realized I was getting so broke I had no money. I couldn't afford to live in this place. And I'll never forget this, this house up on Capitol Hill in Seattle. It was a house run by a male madam whose name I still remember. His name was Carlton. Carlton said, you can stay here, but you got to pay money each week and where I stayed was these rooms with like a, a cot and a mattress there was no running water 
and I had no money to pay for it. So I called my sister in the middle of this, and I said, I'm fucking homeless. I need a place to stay. And my sister, who was getting a degree in psychology, said, I love you, but I can't help you. That's mom and dad. Fuck them. So I was like, well, fuck her. So I had this John, big guy, very rich. He liked me. But I could tell when he looked at me, he was kind of scared of me. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I thought, here we go. So we were having sex, and we are about to fuck. I said to him, and I said, oh, you know, I hope you don't mind, but, you know, my sister's been in a terrible car crash, and she needs reconstructive surgery. So could you pay me double tonight? And he looked at me, and he was like, kind of admired my chutzpah. And then... He gave me a look of pity, just like my mother used to give me, just like she gave me when she found out that I was gay. And he said, sure. So we fucked, and we fucked, me in the bottom, him on top, me unable to breathe. When he'd sweat, the sweat would go in my mouth. I'd spit it out, he liked that. I went home and I had a wad of cash. I went to the flop house and I had a wad of cash. I was so happy. So I thought, let me go back and do this again. So I said to him, are you free tonight? Do you want a date? He said, sure. But I got to go out of town. Why don't you come in next week? So I went there all excited on the bus thinking, this is my payday. I got this made. I go there. I knock on the door. Not a sound. Hmm. I knock again. Dead quiet. I go in the back of the house. I lean into the window. And there's a cord coming out of the wall where the TV used to be indentations in the carpet where the couch used to be where you used to fuck me silly. He had moved. To this day, did he move because of me? I think so. But all I know is I stood there and I looked inside. And as I looked inside for a second, (laughs) and I have got to think, Because in that time when I was going through this, and everyone says, how could you possibly survive something like that? How could you possibly be okay after what you went through that young? There was always something inside of me that said I was going to be okay. I was an abused kid. I was raped as a child. I survived it. I'm well today because something inside of me said I was going to be okay. There was something in there that said, hang on. And when I pulled back from looking inside there, The sun came out, which it never did in Seattle, and I saw myself. I I saw my reflection. I was a fucking train wreck. I looked 40. My hair was long and scraggly. The clothes I I was wearing were torn. I looked frightened. I I looked like a ghost of who I was, and I thought, "I I can't do this anymore. So I begged my parents to take me back, They did. And my mother said to me, you can stay here, creepy kid. But you got to stay in the camper in the back. We don't want a homosexual in this house. So I did. I stayed in the camper. Went to high school. No one knew. But I swore when I graduated from high school and ran like a motherfucker from that house, I was never going to let anyone kick me out of my house again, treat me like shit, or allow me to doubt myself ever again.
alive until you start kicking When the room is spinning and the words aren't sticking And the radio's on a better runaway model With a face like sin and a hat like a James Joyce novel Saying sis for sis for how I missed you, missed you Let's go wrist to wrist and take the skin off of a blister If you're a rock star, porn star, superstar Doesn't matter what you are Get yourself a good car, get out of here Well Put the boys in the better land You're always talking about the boys in the better land The boys in the better land Put the boys in the better land You're always talking about the boys in the better land the boys in the better land. This is Risk. This is Fontaine's DC behind me now. And we just heard from Michael C. Bryan. Uh, Michael is an actor and a writer and a life coach. You can find him at Michael C. Bryan.com. That's B R Y A N. The two of us actually knew each other. Way back in the day, uh, back in the 90s, we we were kind of in the same, I don't know, concentric circles of gay men <laughs> hanging around in the East Village and up to no good. So it's been super fun to reconnect and very inspiring. I'm always so moved when someone who I know comes on to do the show and then I learn something about their life that I didn't know before. That's the power of storytelling. That's something to keep in mind when you go home or when you reconnect with your chosen family. Ask people questions and share little stories of your... I mean, they don't have to be, you know, all thought out with a beginning and a middle and an end and all that. Just share more freely and ask more questions and focus more on listening to see what more you can learn about the people that you're close to. <laughs> all right, I didn't, I didn't know I was just going to go off pontificating there. Maybe I should write an article about that. Maybe some folks who, who, who don't know the show would find that helpful to hear, too. Before Michael, we, we heard a song by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. He played both the voices in that song. Oh, but by the way, I said to the audience at the Detroit show that night when Mohab first shared his story, as a kink educator, I feel like... Uh, it's, I have to point out that if someone says to you, if they have a paraphilia, if they have a kink for something, like in that case, it was urine, but uh, could be, uh, you know, feet, or could be poop, could be shining shoes, you know, boot blacking. You know, if someone has a really strong paraphilia for something and they say to you, come on, just pee in my mouth, it's not sex. <laughs> uh, they are not being straightforward with you. If someone has as strong a fetish for something as that woman had for urine in that story, that is sex, my friends. Th that is very loaded stuff. You will sometimes hear people try to, you know, wiggle around things. Like, for example, they might otherwise be in a monogamous relationship. 
but come to you saying, well, my partner, you know, wouldn't mind because this isn't really sex. <laughs> no, 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 no. That ain't how it works. Tis the season to elect benefits through your workplace. Most people know open enrollment as decision time for healthcare coverage, but it's also the perfect moment to reassess your life insurance needs to properly provide for their families. Most people need 10 times the life insurance coverage that they get through their jobs, which means your employer life insurance is leaving you underinsured. That's where Policy Genius can help. Policy Genius is the easy way to shop for a life insurance plan that's not tied to your job. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. They can also help you find the right home and auto insurance and disability insurance, too. So when you're looking at your workplace benefits this month, make sure to double-check your life insurance options. Then go to PolicyGenius.com to get quotes and apply in minutes. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Our final story on this week's episode. I'm so excited about this. Julia Whitehouse is a very dear member of our team. Julia is one of our teachers at thestorystudio.org and just such a wonderful person. You can find her on Medium. She writes articles on Medium at Julia Whitehouse. You can find her on Instagram at Julia W. Hare. Here she is now, recorded live at the New York City Risk Show that we do once a month at Caveat. It's Julia Whitehouse with a story we call On Edge in Costume. I broke up with John over the phone on our one-year anniversary. Because even though I had gotten really good at ducking from glassware and lamps, and even though I was super accustomed to being called a bitch all the time, and even though the night before our anniversary, he had choked me up against a wall and pushed me down a flight of stairs, I had returned to the apartment. It was because a friend of mine that next morning called to wish me happy anniversary. She heard me stutter on the words thank and you, <laughs> and she asked what's wrong, and I accidentally told her about the choking and the pushing down the stairs. And once I did, once I heard myself say it out loud, I couldn't justify going back to them. Once a friend knew, it was as though a spell had been broken. So I put the child that I was babysitting down for his nap, sat in the middle of the living room, and called him and broke up with him. And he said, please, Julia, please don't do this. Don't do this, Julia. Please don't do this. Don't do this, Julia. Don't do this. Please don't do this. And then it very quickly turned to, you're going to regret this. You're going to regret this. You're going to... And I hung up. Because uh, I'm done. 
I don't need to talk to him ever again. I have decided to break up with him. I'm done. I never need to see him ever again. I figured out when he was going to be out of his apartment. I gathered all my things. I'm done. And then 10 days later, it's Halloween. And I decided to use the night as my coming back to the world. I am done being depressed. I am done being sad about some stupid relationship. I am back. And obviously, I don't know all of you, but I know some of you. But maybe some of you don't know that I am really good at Halloween. (laughs) I am like the queen of Halloween. (laughs) Listen, and I'm not talking about no witch or vampire or monster, some basic bullshit out of a bag costume. No, not for me. I come up with my own character that I can act the entire day and night. I am that character. I am well known for Mirando, the Sex in the City character that didn't quite make the cut. I'm all about truth, honesty, and no bullshit. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Charlene, stress on the lane. I don't need a man. Don't tell me I need a boyfriend. I don't. Am I saying that too often? I don't need a man. But this Halloween, I'm feeling a little emotionally drained, and I can't really quite come up with, like, an idea, Uh, like an original thought. But friends are like, you should be Lucille Ball. You should be Peggy Bundy from Married with Children. Uh, I'm like, oh, this is great. Uh, And all day long, I'm back and forth ping-ponging, you know, Lucy, Peggy, Lucy, Peggy, Peggy, Lucy, Peggy. I don't know which one to be. Uh, But they both have bangs, so I'll cut bangs, and then I'll see myself in the mirror with bangs and know which one to be. And if anybody ever cut bangs, you know the worst time to cut bangs is during an emotional trauma. So <laughs> I cut bangs, burst into tears, and, uh, and then finally decided just to put a swim cap over my head, color my lips blue, and call myself drowned. <laughs> I thought it was very good, very poetic, very funny. At once a conversation starter or a conversation ender. <laughs> Depending. I was feeling very good about myself, very creative, and I jump on the train down to West Forth to the Greenwich Village Halloween Day Parade, and, right, and everybody's looking amazing. At the beginning of the night, no one's makeup is melty on the train, you know, every, it, every, it's just like, all oh, this, yeah, it's the best day in New York. And then I get down to West Forth and get out of the subway on the wrong side of the parade. I'm on one side of 6th Avenue, and my friends, who I'm late to meet, are on the other side. And I am surrounded by people. Just all these just bodies are just smashing up against me, like, you know, multiple schools of fish, you know, working against each other. And it's so loud, like, just all the speakers from the parade are blowing out, and people are drunk, and everybody's Obama because it's 2008, and Woo! there's a wolf, and Obama, and you know, Darth Vader. And, and suddenly I realize I can't see anybody's face. And I'm like, I can't see anybody's face. And if I can't see anybody's face, what if John is here? What if John is here? What if John is here and I can't see him and he can see me and he kills me here in this crowd where it would be safe to kill me because nobody can see him and I can't see him. And what's it going to be? Is he going to get a new costume? He was Hamburglar last year. Maybe he's going to get a new costume, but, or maybe it's going to be the Hamburglar that kills me. And the last thing that I smell are going to be McDonald's hamburger patties as I die in Greenwich Village's Halloween Day Parade. And then I'm panicking, and I can't reach my friends on my stupid fucking flip phone, and I, there's no fucking service, and I'm surrounded by people, and I'm panicky, panicky, panicky. And then 
suddenly there's a break in the parade, a policeman moves a barrier and ushers people across the street, and like a dam breaks, I rush across the street, and I find my friends, and I cling to them for dear life the rest of the night. One of them a geisha, the other a vote stealer. And then Obama is elected president for the first time. And I get a text from John. I'm so happy. I wish I could share this win with you. And I ignore it because I'd been ignoring all of his phone calls and all of his text messages. And then he texts again. I have your birth certificate and social security card. Give me your address so that I can send it to you. Wow. Gosh, do I feel silly. I forgot to get the things that I had kept in his desk when I got my things from his apartment. But he seems in a good mood. So, you know, I'll just text him back and get those documents. I'm not going to give him my address because I don't want him to know where I am. And if he's forgotten where I live, I want to keep it that way. So I text back. Thank you so much. Please leave the documents with your doorman, and I will come pick them up. Thanks again. And then he starts calling. And this is before I had an iPhone and Find Your Friends was an app or anything. Uh, just a shitty little flip phone lighting up and lighting up with each call. And it feels like a portal, and the anxious feeling is immediate in my gut, in my throat, in my head. And I, I don't know what to do, but I know I'm not answering it. And eventually he leaves a message that says, if you do not call me back in the next five minutes, I will burn your social security card and birth certificate. You will no longer exist in this universe. I will destroy you. I had thought he was in a good mood. I was always getting that wrong. So I text him, If you destroy my documents, I will have no choice but to go to the police. To which he texts back, already done, Angel, already done. So the next morning, I go to the police. And I explain to the policewoman, I don't think he actually destroyed these documents. I think this is the situation, the whole ending of the relationship. And he's just trying to get me to come back. He's just he's trying to use it as leverage. If maybe I can make this report and the cops can go, like maybe get my documents back. And she interrupts me. She said, "You know, you were in an abusive relationship, right?" And I was like, "I just want my documents back." Here's a fun fact. Uh, if the police on the Upper East Side are not very busy and don't have much to do, they welcome the opportunity to go knock on the door of a wealthy white guy. <laughs> um, and so that's what we did. And they knocked on his door. I waited downstairs uh, in the parking garage across the street from his apartment, hiding behind a wall, expecting like they would come down and give me the documents. But They went out, knocked on his door. He invited them in, and uh, so the documents. And he said, "Oh, I burned them." Here's another fun fact: is that's a felony. So the last time that I saw John, he was being led out of his apartment building in handcuffs, two cops on either side, and he was looking like panicked to the left and to the right, like he was looking for me. I thought to myself, he's going to see me. He's going to see my breath in the air, and he's going to break free from them and tear the, the wrist cuffs off and kill me. But he didn't. 
And the last image I see is of the cops guiding his head into the car. And that was 11 years ago. 11 years ago, and still every October when it gets crisp. And uh, those Halloween costume shops pop up all over the city. Just the Walgreens candy aisle is dressed in orange. I think of him. And I also think about him the rest of the year. (laughs) Whenever I see anybody with medium build, dark curly hair, a paunch, even if they look just a little Jewish. (laughs) And every time I see someone like that, maybe just, what if that's, is that him? What if it is him? What do I do? Should should I turn around? Should Should I keep my eye on this person? No, it's not him. 11 years. It took me a long time to be able to sleep without nightmares and a long time to even understand that I was on edge. I got out of the relationship and was still on edge. (laughs) I haven't dressed up for Halloween since. But now I have a three-year-old and she understands Halloween. And since January, she's been telling me she's going to be a witch. (laughs) She says, so are you, mommy? And isn't that some fucking basic bullshit? (laughs) I think about another thing that that police officer said to me. You're in an abusive relationship, but... You got out. Don't worry. You got out. You don't want to know how many women didn't get out. So maybe I'm going to be on edge for the rest of my life, just a little. But I'd rather be on edge in costume than on edge in hiding. Thank you. is all for this week's episode folks this is honeymoon behind me now we just heard from julia whitehouse who you can find on instagram at julia w hair don't forget there will be a song at the very very end of the episode today celebrating everyone who did the hashtag listen to risk campaign and stay 
on social media doing those hashtag listen to risk shout outs because they help bring attention to the show still look us up online on twitter instagram and facebook we're at risk show on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the Kevin Allison. And everything you want to know about Risk is at risk-show.com. Finally, you can always find all of our education around storytelling at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. So Farmer Man D.W. Farmer Rouge and Brandon Paleski. and Chasing Chase. Christopher Break and Ty and Ringo. Oh, Sue Frank. And Eric and Jeannie, Candace Gaudarama, and the Black Lebowski, Jeff Waters and Dom De Niro, and Mission Pony, and Malik Masters, and Laura Kay, and yes, that Tanya, and Catherine Duke, and Ryan Bernster, and Joanne Holland, and Kurt and Moanberg and Sarah and Blanche on Vinch and Amy Salloway and Tom Coles, Dan, Mal, Dave, Malkoff, and Bitch Kitty, the podcast, and Mike Sharp, Punchlines, and Stephen Bowers, disgruntled pelican. Shipley and Berkwich, Eddie Murphy Lee, DJ Uptown, Here Floss Podcast, Natalie Vine, Kira Valera, Ryan Estrada, Nathan Stubbing, Manola Matos, Ilaria Greco, Shana Silvestri, David Arroyo, Tim Black, Mike Cotteo, Sherry Curran, Adam Strong, Nicole is here, Carmen Sita, Matt Coward, Gibbs and Bitch Thinker, BTB, Clement Anderson, and Paul McCrannan, Lilac Aesthetic, Bruce McCarrick, and Joy Kent, Whipple, and Flea Man, and Tyler Thomas. Rebecca requires Grognaz and Brendan Gonzalez, Novita, and Vitor and Nirvana. Oh, how nice, Nirvana. Thought they split up. Um, Lexi Wallace and Ramsey's Cock Castle Duke. Um, um, Laura Kusinti. Nikki Smith and Alyssa Boyle. Scott Shipley Rock and Talk. April Elaine Jackson. XO XO Library.
Let's switch the music so we can really rock this shit. Ray, Christian, and Phoebe, and the dragon, Sir Pete and Leia, the Tamarindo Podcast, and Frankie Bonfanti. Sarah, Gabriel, and Tim Sutton. Karinda House and Ray Y. Adam Schoenfarber. Tashiana. Dak1971. John Pradeep and Chai City Girl. Joshua Hortz. Kathy Townend and Brad Peters. Richard Wood and Am I the Asshole? <laughs> Mitch Marks and Kendra Haberman. Emily Ralt and Scott Metzinger. Someone who's just named Kev and Janie B and Rebecca Seidel, Sarah Mishkoff and Kaylee Showers, Tanner Wendell and Eliana Herman, Medium Segnant and Affy and David Crab, Mason and Valerie Bub Fenwick, Lalitya Davala, Sarah and JP and Bruce Carrick, who I already mentioned actually, and Jen Fairchild and Clinton Fetters. RKO and the Mystery Box Show and Flea Man and Rena Messerschmidt. <laughs> Tim Sutton, who I might have already mentioned. And this song is too goddamn long for any one particular instrumental. Tragedy plus time equals comedy and Brittany Anna Kinchello. Amy Megan, Rockstar Storytellers, Lance Vincent and Dominic Ballone, Tyson Purcell and Randy Williams and Nathaniel Bass and David Weeder, Heather Rage, Tay. Lada Keechter, Broadview Farm and Gardens, um, Sarah Elidiff, Brad Hardy Word and Jenna Bellis, Bahare Kamari, Gerber Plays Bass and Story Club Minneapolis and Farhad Mofidi and CeeLo Rama. 
Society of Storytellers, Penguin After Dark, and Tegan and Amanda Rodriguez, I said Rodriguez, Elizabeth Fleur, and Amanda, and Sarah Wolf, Avery Williams, and Kyle Larson, Dave J. Morris, and Alyssa Thrift, and John Pradeep, and Piz, and Rat Peters, and Hope Marie and Miss Kitty and Charlotte Coons and Sandra Kaiser, Lisa Morgan and Lauren and Leslie Cloud and Richard and, um, I, that's it. That's it. Oh, my. <laughs> 